This episode of the Art of Manliness podcast is brought to you by Slomag. Seven out of 10 Americans don't get enough magnesium from their diet alone. Thankfully, there's Slomag, a daily magnesium supplement with magnesium chloride plus calcium for proper muscle function. It's one of the best ways to get the magnesium your muscles need, especially as you get older and your muscles stop functioning the way they used to. Been taking Slomag for a while now. It's just great to know I'm getting that essential micronutrient that we talked about with Dr. Rhonda Patrick just by taking the supplement. It's fantastic. If you want to check out more information about this, go to slomag.com slash manliness. Again, slomag.com slash manliness. And these statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. At some point, all of us will likely experience a job loss or some other big life setback. While it can feel like your world is crashing down, there's one asset you'll hopefully have your disposable, which can help you weather the storm, your social circle. My guest today experienced the booing power of relationships firsthand when he lost a job he held for over 10 years. His name is Jordan Harbinger. We've had him on the podcast before. For 11 years, he was the host of the Art of Charm podcast, but recently found himself out of the host chair and without a job. But thanks to the social connections he's built up over the past decade, Jordan was able to quickly get back on his feet and now has a new show. Today on the podcast, Jordan shares what it's like to lose a job you've held for a decade and what specific tactics he used to manage the roller coaster of emotions that come with that. We then dig into how his social circle was the key asset that helped him get back on his feet quickly and what you can do to start developing your social capital today so it can buoy you up in a time of need. Lots of actionable advice in this episode. You'll want to take notes after the show's over. Check out the show notes at aom.is slash harbinger. And Jordan joins me now via clearcast.io. Jordan Harbinger, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me on, man. This is always fun. Well, it's been, it's been about, I think, a year since we've had you on, but you've gone through some big-time changes in that year. Can, what's gone on in, in the world of Jordan Harbinger? Sure. So I got married, which was kind of a cool thing that I wish I'd done earlier. After doing it before, it was like, oh, gosh, this is such a to-do, and it, you know, it's such a big thing, and this planning. And then it, when we did it, we are like, oh, we should have done this a long time ago. Totally worth it. And... Then in the last few months, I've actually left my company that I'd been with, that I started The Art of Charm. I left that company in the last couple of months and I left the show and I started The Jordan Harbinger Show instead. And as you might imagine, that wasn't how I foresaw that split happening. It was not supposed to happen that way. We had negotiated something totally different and that ended up not going according to plan for various reasons, some of which are legal claims that are still outstanding. And so I'm like, all right, I got to move forward. And either I can make a choice about to be down about this for longer than I, than I was, because I did go through almost a period of mourning, right? Like I'm leaving this and they're getting this stuff, they're taking this away and the back catalog of the old show is gone. But now I'm more excited. But it was, it was quite a process, and I'm still going through it. I'm still in the middle of it. And the more I talk about it, the more I realize every guy, and girl for that matter, but every guy especially, has gone through this if they've just been on this planet long enough. Right, yeah. You're, you're basically starting from square one. You spend 11 years doing something, and then that's gone. I mean, so you said you went through this like mourning period. What I mean, when, that, when this initially happened, this transition happened, what were your... What were your biggest fears? Like, what were the things that were keeping, that tied your stomach in knots and was keeping you up at night? And maybe they're still, they still are. Yeah, it's funny. I was literally being kept up at night by all the what ifs. And that was really scary for me because I'd spent so many years building up the art of charm that the idea of just starting the Jordan Harbinger show and pretending everything was going to be okay just did not seem realistic at all. And of course, when you build something, you think that's how long it takes to re- to build a thing like this, a podcast that has that much traction, that has that many listeners, it's going to take me an- another 11 years to do it. But what your brain or what I my brain anyway didn't realize was that everybody, and of course, everybody else is telling me this, but I wasn't listening, was no, you're taking with you all of your skills that you built over the years, all the relationships that you built over the years, all of and th- most of the team, around 85, 90% of the team from the Art of Charm ended up coming with me on the new venture anyway. And so I wasn't starting over from scratch by any measure. It was kind of like if you own a restaurant and then that restaurant burns down and you open another one, 
you're not thinking, gee, where do I buy food? And how do I hire waitresses, waitresses and servers? And how do I manage the accounting? You've already done that. You just have to do it in a different location with different resources. But you're not starting from scratch, really. You're not like you were when you first built or bought the restaurant. And that, that was kind of lost on me. I just discounted all of that and instead focused, really was catastrophizing to, to sort of uh, touch on an article you wrote probably 10 years ago. I don't know if you remember that four-part yeah. yeah. uh, series. And catastroph- I was catastrophizing a lot. And I was indulging in that a lot. What if nobody, what if this happens and what if that happens and what if my network dumps me and what if the advertisers dump me and what if I can't sell this and what if the website doesn't work and what if the, I mean, there was, I, there were what ifs that were so ridiculous now. Of course, I don't even remember most of them, but the, the there are ones I look back on now and I'm like, how did that cost me a night of sleep? That was the dumbest thing to worry about in the world. But at the time I was convinced. And I remember thinking, well, you're, I could be catastrophizing. Well, no, but probably this really bad thing is going to happen, right? And then I'm going to be homeless, you know, dot, 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 the world implodes. Right. No, man, I'm a big time catastrophizer. And even when I know I'm doing it, I'm like, no, I somehow, I somehow convince myself like, no, this is going to happen. This is really going to happen this time. Yeah. It's like, well, for other people, I would say, don't worry. And you know, you're talented and you're a hard worker and you're lucky and you have all these skills and the team's coming with you. And the bright side is you don't have a health issue and you know, you're not going to lose your house, your wife and you are happy. You have a great family. And I'm like, but I lost my podcast. And then now that I say it, it's such a ridiculous thing. I mean, if you're going to have a hurdle thrown in the middle of your life, can it please be that you left a company that you should have left a long time ago and started a new project? You know, there's a lot of people out there. I was talking with a friend of mine who had is just getting over cancer. And I felt so stupid telling her about my problems, you know? She's like, oh, really? (laughs) Tell me more about how you lost a bunch of MP3 files, you know? She didn't say that, but that's kind of how I felt whining to my friend. She's like, no, well, problems are problems no matter what. When you're in the middle of it, that problem is the biggest problem in your universe. But when you get some perspective it's really hard to sit there and feel sorry for yourself when she's going in and having lymph nodes removed, right? And I'm totally able-bodied, totally fine. And my biggest hiccup is I've kind of got to rebuild the foundations of a business. And I already know how. Yeah. So, I mean, like, what's interesting, yeah, you're in this position where you've spent 11 years talking to experts from a wide variety of fields, business leaders, psychologists, you name it. I'm curious, were there any words of wisdom or advice or practical tactics that you got from some of these people you've talked to, to manage uh, your anxiety or that feeling of uncertainty you've been going through since starting over? Yeah, there, there are tons actually. And the, the primary skill set that I use to get over it, I know people are thinking like, Oh, meditation and this, and I, yes, all that stuff came in handy. You know, I would sort of defuse some of my stress through that, through those types of things. But I'll tell you, most of what it was, was realizing, and maybe I learned some of this through osmosis, and some of it was, of course, direct advice from the guests, but changes, whether they're big or small in your life, is always inevitable. And that sounds a little cliche. It's like, oh, the only thing constant is change. Like, okay, car commercial from the 90s. Thanks for the wisdom. But really, the uncertainty that we have and that I have at any given point in my life, it's really a part of the process. It's We should be taking notes and learning from that, not trying to avoid it, not trying to give our brains perfect information, as it were, because our brains are addicted to having that perfect information. Your brain is an uncertainty machine, right? It will take, it's trying to create stability. So any information that you don't have is what you focus on. And so that's why guys like you and I and other guys in in other difficult situations who've maybe lost their job or are going through a divorce, we catastrophize because we don't think, all right, I have a stable job. I have a stable house. My car is in good shape. I have good health. They think, oh, there's the, the outcome of this particular legal thing is outside my control. So that's the thing I'm gonna focus on. And so uncertainty I've found really was kind of a function of how much information that I have versus how much information that I want. Because I want, I want all of the informations in my brain, right? But we can never have that. So that uncertainty, that, that gap between the info you have and the info your brain wants, that really throws a magnifying glass on unpleasant events and makes them more unpleasant, 
because you're really only focusing on that. And I really had to find that the uncertainty was an opportunity for me to learn about how I can handle this particular situation, uh, how I can focus on the right things, how I have to do that in order to stay sane or drive myself crazy. And after enough sleepless nights, it really was a realization that I had to come to with instability isn't a thing that we need to deal with. Uncertain situations aren't a thing that we need to deal with. They are, that is your life, right? If you zoom out far enough, you don't know what the hell is going to happen tomorrow. You have no clue. And it made me understand at a deeper level why some people, and I'm, I'm not a, I'm not religious at all, but I totally get it now in some way, why that is such a comforting thing to have. Because when this was happening, I remember thinking, wow, you know, if I was really religious right now, this would probably be an easier situation for me to get through. And that was a, that was an interesting realization for me. And I found a lot of gifts had also come out of of the situation. And a lot of people said things like, you're going to find out who your friends are. And I'll tell you, whenever, you know, whenever you hear an athlete say that or a musician on some behind the music thing, it's never because, wow, I was surprised at how great my friends were. It's always because everybody left them when they were broke. Right. And that was the opposite of what I found. What I found was once I was sort of forced to reach out to everybody in my network and ask for help in in this very humble way, I didn't have anybody say, oh, sucks to be you or call me when you're back on top. Nobody did that. You know, you were right there like, hey man, I feel for you. This is, I don't envy you, but I, I feel for you. Let's figure out how to help out. And everybody's been really helpful with that. So there's a lot of gifts that have come out of this. And that is exactly the type of thing that a guest on the Jordan Arbiter show would say. And I would kind of nod and smile in agreement, but I never really you didn't really feel it at a visceral level until you're in that situation. You go, ah, this is what people mean by resilience or this is what people mean by feel the fear and do it anyway. And this is what people mean by reaching out and asking for help and being able to face potential rejection. And I never had to, to really do that. So I went from, in many areas, an academic understanding of some of the things the guests were saying on the show to really feeling it. And I think that's made me a better interviewer, a better host, and probably a better person to be around because of this life experience that happened in the last couple of months has really given me a lot of perspective and reinforced some things that I just never paid attention to. Does that make sense? No, that makes perfect sense. And you mentioned something there, that idea of, of having to humble yourself and ask for help. And like, you know, that's hard for a lot of guys to do. Was, was it hard for you to like, oh, I mean, I thought, I had to ask for help, right? And you, usually you're in a position of, I'm the one who gives help. What was that like? And how did you over, if you did have that sort of block, how did you overcome it? Yeah, so one of the principles that I always teach on the show is always be giving. So Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, you remember that movie? Oh, of course. Like uh, ABC, always be closing. Coffee so one of the closers. principles that, that we teach on the, the Jordan Harbinger show is always is ABG, always be giving or always be generous. And so what that really means is, just give without the expectation of anything in return. And that's a really easy concept to apply if you're a good person and you like helping other people, which most of us are. And so I was doing a lot of that, giving without the expectation of anything in return. Now, the problem, of course, was that, or I wouldn't say the problem, the, the hitch on that was I was genuinely thinking I will never need anything in return. And that was kind of a fun part of helping other people. It's like, uh, there's a Hollywood saying that when you get to the top, you know, send the elevator back down. And I thought that's what I was doing, helping other people. And I was really enjoying the process of helping other entrepreneurs and other podcasters and um, men get through situations in their life. So when I did have to ask for help, it wasn't actually that, it wasn't humiliating in the way that I think a lot of people expected it. And I didn't really feel dumb or silly doing it. Not because I'd helped so many people and I felt like it was time to cash in or anything like that, but because I just think if, when people ask me for help, I don't think, what a loser. Look at, this, look at this guy asking me for help. I just think this person's on the hustle. They're on the grind. They need help. I don't really judge people for that. So I kind of, for maybe a minute, I thought, oh, this is going to be embarrassing to ask people for this and tell them what happened. And now I realize if you can't be vulnerable, you're not really a strong man or a strong person. If you can't show weakness when you actually have it, and if you can't show vulnerability or ask for help from your friends and acquaintances and colleagues when you need it, you're not really a strong person. And so 
I thought if anybody says, "What? A, look at this guy. He screwed up his business. What a yutz!" Is that person? Is that more about me or is it more about them? You know. And I think it it it's more about them. But I will tell you one way in which I I thought that this was going to be trickier was the initial outreach. I thought I would face more rejection. So I made a list of maybe ten or twenty people, yourself included, that I could reach out to first that I knew would be helpful, compassionate, and then I kind of I reached out to you all first. And then I reached out to other folks because it gave me a little bit of a confidence boost. I thought, well, if I've got help from this group of dozen sort of key friends, then I won't be as worried. And so once all of you guys were super supportive, I thought, okay, now I can reach out to other people. And if some of them say no or don't respond, I'm not going to cry in my cereal. So I kind of dipped my toes in the water of outreach and that boosted the confidence enough. But I, I really didn't feel like I had anything to worry about. Now that said... I understand that if somebody feels ashamed or embarrassed about reaching out and asking for help, I don't think that that is weird or abnormal. I think that it's natural to worry that someone's going to reject you, especially when you're vulnerable and you need something and you really need help. It is natural to fear that other people will reject you or reject that help. Or maybe you don't want to find out that all the people that you thought were your friends are not people you can rely on. But the way to figure that out is not to avoid situations in which you need to rely on them. It's to lean on them when you really need them. And then if you find out that you can't rely on them, then you've learned a cheap lesson, no matter when you learn it, really. I'm curious, like, so when did the, when did you start like, you know, hitting the, you know, putting the rubber to the road with this? Like, as was it immediately after you knew like, this is, this is, I got to move on. This is got to move on to something else. Or did you kind of, did you have a moment of like wallowing for like a few days and then you got going? What was that like? Yeah. So I actually did have that. So first it's funny. Cause when I, t- I was telling a friend of mine, who's a counselor about how this went down and the first stage was something like, no, I, I, I can't, this isn't hap. This isn't how this is going to happen. This is a bluff or this is a strange situation. And that, and then after that, I felt really bad, right? I was like, oh, I can't believe this. I spent so much time doing this. This doesn't make any sense. And then I just tell my friend who's a counselor, she goes, these are the seven stages of grief, shock and denial, pain. After that comes anger and bargaining. And so I said, oh, shoot, am I going to become angry about this and start figuring out, shouting at the sky, why me? And and then after that's depression, reflection, and loneliness. And I just went, oh, these sound awful. But what helped me get through after the sort of shock, denial, pain, and guilt or whatever stages is I decided in concert with my producer and the, the owner of my network, which is Podcast One, they said, just keep going. Just start another show. And I was like, oh God, I can't start over. It's going to be too hard. And they go, okay, well, here's your, here are your choices. Whine about it and we're all going to get sick of hearing about it. Or let's get back to work, rebuild. Everyone's excited but you. Put your big boy pants on and get back to work. And people, my producer and my, the owner of the network literally said that to me. They were not sugarcoating it. They, they're just like, look, if this is the worst thing that's happened to you in your business, you're doing well. Cause the owner of the network is 75 years old and he's been in the radio business for like 50 years. And my producer said, Hey man, I'm not saying I'm losing respect for you, but I'm saying I will, if you just keep whining every day. So take the weekend, recover and get back to work. So keeping my head down or I should say putting my head back down and getting to work was the best therapy for me. I'm not recommending that for every single person because maybe some people do need to take a week off and go to a place like Hawaii and swim in the ocean and decompress and get clarity on what they want to do. But I was already really clear. I love interviewing people. I love podcasting and radio and producing really high quality interviews with the guests that we have on the show. So I already knew what I wanted to do. Me waiting, I in a, in a very real sense, was just waiting for things to either get worse or magically fix themselves, which has never happened in the course of history, a magical fix. So just starting again and moving forward was the absolute best, most cathartic thing ever. And when I recorded those first few sh- episodes of the Jordan Harbinger show, I slept like a freaking baby those nights because I knew that I was moving forward. And I didn't realize what it was, but when I... I had the same experience when I got laid off from my law firm probably like 10 years ago now. The whole class got laid off because of the economic downturn. The one thing, I was worried, everybody was freaking out. And then the one thing that made me feel better was just getting back to work immediately. So I don't know if this is a cure-all for everybody. It might just be related to my personality type as a 
as sort of a you know entrepreneurial guy, but I needed to feel like I was moving forward because it wasn't the uncertainty that was driving me crazy. I should say it wasn't just the uncertainty that was driving me crazy. It was the stagnation that was driving me crazy. And so every day that goes by, watching the Jordan Harbinger show grow back to some level of where it was with the art of charm is is really what's keeping me feel like feeling like I'm moving forward instead of driving me insane. And I was driving myself literally crazy, man. No, yeah, that and that raises an interesting point. I'm um, you know, we a few I guess man, it's been 10 years you had me on your show to talk about resilience. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading a new book that reminded me of this conversation we had. It's called The Self-Directed Child. And it's all about how to get your kid to take ownership of their life and you know, basically direct themselves and become autonomous. And one of the points they they hit hard on is that people, children, but people in general, they need a sense of control, right? That's what keeps you going. That's what makes you feel confident. And so the way you feel in control is like doing something. So it sounds like what you were doing by just getting back to work, you were thrown into this you know chaos of uncertainty. You didn't feel like you were in control. So you started doing something that gave you that feeling of control, which helps you move forward. Yeah, I would say that's 100% accurate because instead of focusing on all of the things I couldn't control, which is the what if game that was keeping me up from 1 a.m. to 8 a.m. three nights a week, the what if game was driving me crazy. But focusing on what I could control by doing the work, then it was, okay, so the plan, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And my friend, Matthew Kimberly, who teaches sales, and helps sort of early stage entrepreneurs generally, he said something brilliant. I'm going to paraphrase it because I'm not going to get it right. But it was the gist of there's no such thing as overwhelm. It's just there's a such in business he's talking about, of course, there's just not knowing what to do next. And I don't know that this is a universally agreeable thing. There's probably exceptions to this. But I found in this case, he was right. I felt overwhelming. I've got to do social media from the beginning. I start my Twitter again. I got to start my Facebook page again. I got to start the, a new YouTube channel. I have to build up all these interviews with guests and get a back catalog. And then I've got to regrow the show. And that all seemed, that was just chaos. And that was just how is this ever, how am I going to get back to this? This is going to be impossible. But when I started focusing on, well, what's the next step? The next step is do a damn good interview with the next guest you have on the Jordan Harbinger show. Stop worrying about your back catalog size and how it's going to look in 18 months. That's going to drive you crazy if you're trying to handle 18 months worth of work in the next week or the next day. Just focus on the next steps. You have a plan. You have a strategy. You've done it before. Now you have help from your friends. Get a good night's sleep and stop worrying about it. And that was very, you're right. It was very helpful because my brain really did want control I felt like I had lost control. And instead of trying to control everything all at once, I just focused on what I could actually do next that was going to move the ball forward. And that was a magical, there, there's, that was better than any doctor's prescription that I could get for sleeping pills. It was better than any, uh, yeah, just go out and get some sun suggestion. Or it was better than anything. It was better than any therapy, any sort of cure was do the work, get back to work. And I find that that's been true for me throughout life. I just didn't notice it as a pattern. And I'm saying this as a prescription for for guys and gals out there that find themselves really stuck. This may not be the cure-all for you, but just give it a shot because it sure beats getting addicted to Xanax. We're going to take a quick break for your word from our sponsors. All right, it is prom season. So if you're a high school student going to attend prom or you have a high schooler who will be attending prom and needs to rent a tuxedo, you need to check out the black tux because it makes renting a tuxedo so much easier and you get a better looking tuxedo from those. Well, here's how it works. You go online. You don't have to go to a, a tuxedo store and measure yourself. You order online. Your suit will arrive in 14 days before the event. Then you wear it, turn heads and send it back three days after your event. Shipping is free both ways. And again, you never have to step foot in one of those tuxedo rental places. Whether you're going for a stylist selected outfit or building a custom look. The Black Tux has tons of suits and tuxedos to choose from, and they're always adding amazing new selections. Plus, with their new fit algorithm, you don't have to awkwardly measure yourself. The Black Tux does it for you. They'll even let you feel the fit and quality of your suit months before your event with a free home try-on. Look as great as your day with the Black Tux. If you want to get $20 off your first purchase, visit blacktux.com slash manliness. Again, $20 off your first purchase by going to theblacktux.com slash manliness. One more time, blacktux.com slash manliness. The Black Tux premium rental suits and tuxedos delivered. 
Also by Audible. Audiobooks are great for helping you become a better you, whether you want to feel healthier, get motivated, or learn something new. And with unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more, Audible has all the audio content you need to start your year on the right foot. They've got lots of books. If you've been listening to the podcast, we've had several of our guests on the show who have books on Audible. For example, Charles Duhigg, The Power of Habit, Angela Duckworth, her book Grit, Tim Ferriss's books are all on there. So whatever you want, it's there, whether it's on your phone, through your car, from a tablet, or at home on an Amazon Echo. You can get through tons of books while doing almost anything, commuting, mowing the lawn, working out, etc. And Audible even lets you switch seamlessly between devices, picking up exactly where you left off. Start a 30-day trial and your first audiobook for free by going to my special URL. Go to audible.com slash manliness, or you can text manliness to 500-500. Again, a 30-day trial plus your first audiobook for free by going to audible.com slash manliness or text manliness to 500-500. And now back to the show. Right. No, yeah. So, I mean, if a guy loses his job, that's going to happen to, I think, every, you know, most people at some point in their life, you know, instead of wallowing, the first thing you should do is like, okay, I want to reach, like what you did, you reached out to your network for some help. You can do that too. If you, if you lost your job, like, Hey, I'm, I'm looking for employment. That's the thing you do for like the next few days is reaching out to those key people, you know, that could hopefully help you find another, another job. I, I agree. And in fact, if, if you don't mind, I'll give your, your audience here, our, our, our listeners here, a little bit of homework because I had spent 10 years building relationships and digging the well before I got thirsty. And thank goodness that I did that because if I had been in the situation that I'm in now, but I hadn't been building and maintaining relationships because I wanted to procrastinate or I get felt shy and I gave myself an excuse and I kept saying, I'm an introvert. I don't like doing this. Then I would be really screwed right now. But I'm not because I managed to have a bunch of relationships. And so here's a little thought exercise. Speaking of getting laid off or losing your job, if you get laid off from your job today, who are the 10 or maybe 20 people you'd contact to solicit their advice on what to do next. So sit down and make this list of, let's say, 10 people that you would call and get advice from once you got laid off. Then once you've got that list, reach out to those people now before you need something. Because I think the reason people are hesitant to reach out for help when they need it is because every conversation starts with, hey, Brett, we haven't talked in like four years, but I really need something right now. And it's they, they feel dumb because they know that they're the person who's coming out of the woodwork asking for a favor. I didn't have to worry about that with my outreach because I've been keeping in touch with a lot of these guys and gals for years or at least months pretty regularly, even if it's only been once every six months or so. It's decently regular and I have systems for that. So I didn't feel like, oh gosh, I haven't talked to this person in forever and now I have to reach out and ask for something. How embarrassing. I didn't have that concern because I was doing this, I was digging the well before I got thirsty. So I highly recommend this, this exercise, which I call layoff lifelines. Make that list of people, reach out now. And if you do need something later, man, are you going to be glad that you reached out to these people four, five, six months ago, a year ago, whatever it was when you do need something, because you won't be embarrassed. You'll have already started the momentum in that relationship or regained momentum in that relationship. Yeah, this is this concept of social capital that we talked about on our last our last episode with each other. Yes, exactly. Although at that point, I was teaching it like, hey, this has worked really well for me to build the business. You should try it. It's really useful. Now I'm looking at it as this is the best insurance policy that I've ever had in my whole life as far as business goes. Because if you said, hey, Jordan, you can't use your network anymore or any of your existing relationships, but I'm going to give you a million dollars in cash to float your business and help you move forward, I would never take the money. Because the network that I have, the relationships that I have are worth far more than that. In fact, you could probably offer me $5 million. I'm still not sure I would take it. Because I know that with the relationships and the connections that I've made over the last several years, that I can rebuild the business to be worth more than that. And it would not be worth starting that process over for that amount of money. It just wouldn't. So you mentioned you have a system in place uh, and, and keep in sort of nurturing and tending this network of yours. What does that look like? And what, is a, what do those reach outs look like? Because I've seen people implement you know, this, I'm going to stay in touch with people. And I get the emails and it's just like, it's so weird. I don't know. It feels weird and fake and phony. And yes. it's, 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 yeah. a, it's annoying. Like, Hey, what's up, Brett? I was just thinking about you. And it's like, I haven't heard from them in like a year. 
So, I mean, what's your, your tactic or your, your, uh, your system that you have? Yeah. I, I realize that those do sound weird because usually it goes something like this. Hey, Brett, just thinking about you wondering how you're doing. Is your podcast going well? Cool. I'm releasing a book in April and you're like, Oh, I right. knew it. Yeah, exactly. I knew it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There and you so go. Those people are doing it wrong because they're buttering you up because they want something. So that's the, that's the opposite of ABG help other people without the expectation of anything in return. And it's very much a quid pro quo transaction. And that's what makes it feel gross. So when I use, when I say I have systems to keep in touch with people, sometimes people go, oh, that's weird. But it's not weird. It's not weird to remember someone's birthday by using Facebook. It, it's just not. So I have two ways of going about this, sort of systematic network maintenance, if you will, and opportunistic are the two categories. So opportunistic is I log into Facebook. I see Brett had a baby. Instead of clicking like on the picture, and instead of leaving a comment, I might write an email, call you on the phone, or send a text and say, hey, congratulations, big, big news. You know, you're a dad again. This is so great. I really hope things are going well. Talk to you soon. No need to respond. I'm sure you're busy and you have a diaper in one hand and a bottle in the other. Looking forward to catching up at some point. I'm not asking you for anything. I'm not just clicking like on this photo. I'm responding to a big event in your life that did get shared, but I'm not doing it in the way that you shared it. Because in my opinion, if a clicking like is less than a comment, which is less than a personal message, which is less than an email, which is less than a text, which is less than a phone call, which is less than seeing someone in person on sort of the hierarchy of maintaining a relationship. You know, so it's better if somebody has a big event, it's great if you can see them in person. It's better if you can call them on the, or it's, it's not as good, but better than everything else if you can call them on the phone. And then you sort of go down that hierarchy. And so use the opportunities that you see. You heard something through the grapevine of some good or bad news on somebody in your network. Go reach out to them. You see someone in your newsfeed. Use that as a reason to reach out to them. And so that's the opportunistic. It's just sort of something presents itself or you're walking down the street and you see Brett McKay Barbershop. So I take a picture and text it to you. And, and it's like, oh, hey, what's going on, man? Haven't seen you in a while. Where is this place? Oh, it's in Albuquerque. What are you doing down there? That's just spontaneous interaction. And then the systematic way is I use a CRM, I guess for lack of a better word, it's called Contactually. And it I input all my friends in there and it, it just kind of keeps track of our email chains. And every 90 days or so, whichever time period I choose, it will remind me and say, hey, you haven't talked with this person. And so I'll go, oh yeah, shoot, I haven't spoken with this person in a while. And so I'll look on social media, see what's new with them and, and reach out. And I'm never asking for anything during this type of outreach. I'm either offering some help for somebody else or I'm just checking in. And some people might think, oh, it's kind of inauthentic that somebody or something has to remind you. But I don't really agree with that. I think if you are in an industry like say you sell automobiles, how the heck are you going to remember the names and birthdays of all your colleagues and all the people that you worked with? It just, it's not cheating. It's technology, right? It's not like the computer program is sending out the check-ins automatically. That would be weird. That would be there weird. Are, there are apps that do that. Yeah. That's a little bit too, that's a little bit too strange. I don't want something to reach out on my behalf because I'm too lazy. If I have something to say to somebody, then I'll do it because of the reminder, if I don't have anything else to say, I'll look up what they're doing. I just, you're right. There's something really smarmy about getting an email that's clearly from like an automated thing, like automated system that says, hey, friend, how are you? <laughs> Haven't spoken in a few months. Hope all is well. Send me news when you get a chance. It's like, ah, this is such a generic way of making me do all the work in our friendship. I hate you now. Right. <laughs> right. So I don't believe in those types of things. But I do believe in some kind of maybe a little nudge here and there just to make sure that I'm not forgetting somebody. But mostly I use the opportunistic network maintenance, which is somebody's got big news. I don't just click like, I reach out to them. Or if I heard somebody's got something else going, then I might reach out and try to help them. Like, hey, I heard you're launching a new software product. My friend runs AppSumo. Do you want an introduction? It's a great place to sell software. That's the kind of outreach I'm looking for. So I'm reaching out to try and help people or I'm reaching out to check in. I'm not just reaching out when I want something. That will not work for you. 
because that is not digging the well before you're thirsty. That is trying to put a spare tire in the trunk of your car after you've already got a flat on the highway. And you you mentioned, you have a good example of how to be helpful. Because I feel like also when people, people will hear this advice, always be giving, and they're going to go to their emails and their contact list and just like reach out to everybody. Hey, it's been a while. Anything I can do to help? I get those quite a bit. And I've, I feel like it's even like, it's it's like, more unhelpful because it's like, do I need help? Like, what do I need help with? Your example, you gave a specific action. Like, hey, I saw you started the business. I know the guy at AppSumo. Would you like me to make an introduction? Like, that is like, I'm like, oh yeah, that is actually really useful. I'd be like, I would definitely go on that. But like, when you just say, just kind of give the blanket, anything I can do to help, like you make the person try to figure out what you can, like, and that that's not helpful. Exactly. That's a really good point. You need to give specific help. Reaching out and say, saying, is there anything I can do for you is a way of putting the monkey on someone else's back. So in a lot of times when somebody sends me an email about something, I'll reply with whatever it is that the answer. And I'll say, let me, let me know if I can ever be of service. That's different than putting the monkey on someone else's back by reaching out and saying, Hey, Brett was just thinking about you let me know if I can help with anything. Because the answer is, unless I really need something specifically from you that I know you're good at and I know you well enough to know what you're competent and good at, it's completely unhelpful. Because I'm ma- you're right, I'm making you do the work, which is completely and utterly annoying in some way. So it's the equivalent of, and people don't realize this because they don't see it happen to themselves or they don't realize, they think they're being really helpful. And it is a good it, 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 it's, a, they're, it's a good intention. It's a good intention, I yeah, think. But it's the equivalent of, and you get this all the time, I'm sure. I get this as well at the Jordan Harbinger shows. I love your show. I love what you guys are doing. I want to intern and I'll totally do unpaid work. And it sounds like a great offer, but then I've got to figure out what this 20, 21-year-old kid who's still in college can do what they want to do. Then I've got to manage them. Then I've got to follow up and make sure they're doing it right. Then I've got to check their work. It's a kind offer, but really you're just adding another job, which is I'm now your manager. And in return, I get to, I don't know, like mentor you or something. I don't know what that means. So there's all these mismanaged expectations on both sides of those equations and people don't realize it. They really do think they're being helpful. So if you do outreach, offer specific help or just offer or just check in and say, hey, I noticed you went to Belize. That looked really awesome. I could use a break. That you know, that kind of that kind of check in. Something that doesn't require them to write you a letter back. You can even say no response necessary. Just admiring your photos. Hope you're well. That gives them permission to reach back out to you. But yeah, offering sort of a blanket. Let me know how I can help you. No, you let me know how you can help me. Right. You do that, right. not the other way around. And I like the uh, add. You know, when you check in to add the addendum. Sometimes like no no response necessary because. Mm-hmm completely takes the pressure off of the person and you're like, oh, this, this is very, this was actually nice, right? It shows that you respect the other person's time, especially if you're reaching, I put this in air quotes because I don't, I don't love hierarchy stuff, but I put this in air quotes, especially when you're reaching up, right, to an influencer. So if you are thinking of reaching out to, if someone's thinking of reaching out to you, for example, if they end their email with no response necessary, what it shows is they understand that you got 700 emails that week. They understand that you don't have time to go through all of them. They just wanted to say, hey, your show really changed my life. I really loved the networking tips from that one guy, Jordan. That was really useful. And just wanted to say, love the show, no response necessary. I usually still respond to those and say, thanks. It just takes me a while. But it shows me that that person gets it. They're not the the person, the opposite of that is the person that emails again three days later and is like, hey, just making sure you got this. It's like, yeah, you're not the only person in my inbox and me replying to your email is not what I'm prioritizing. I'm thinking of the other 150,000 people who listen to the content that we're creating. So signals like no response necessary show that you respect the other person's time and you understand that it's not their job or duty or obligation to respond to you in a timely manner. And that goes a long way with me, especially. I love that. No, yeah, it's, it's, it's what I do with anybody I reach out to. And it's like, here's this thing. Understand if you can't get back to me or you don't want to, or it's not not going to fit. Because that's how I like to be true. I mean, it's just, it, I, for me, like, man, when someone does it, it just takes the pressure off. And it, I don't know. That's, I like to treat others how I like to be treated. So that's that's my my approach. The golden rule, for sure. And I think, it, it does blend, that blends well into another point, which is 
if you're reaching out and helping other people, I want to be really clear that, again, the ABG help other people without the expectation of anything in return. A lot of people say, but I can't help all the people that I know because I'll run out of time to do things for myself. And I want to address that because when I'm saying help other people with something, it doesn't mean that if you're a graphic designer, you make a bunch of free graphics for all of your friends' businesses and you go bankrupt and homeless because you don't make any money. You're helping everybody. I recommend doing helping other people in a scalable way, which means introducing people in your network to each other. So if I know somebody who made a bunch of money in Bitcoin, I might say, hey, I know tax time's coming up. You probably don't want to go to federal prison. Do you want to see a connection to a CPA who knows how to handle cryptocurrency? Because it's hard to find somebody who understands what this stuff is and isn't going to screw it up. And so I might make that introduction in my network. Now I've gotten that CPA a client. I've gotten that friend of mine potentially a life-altering connection in terms of making sure it doesn't get screwed over in an IRS audit. They both kind of owe me one, but I'm not keeping score, right? Not only am I doing, am I helping multiple people, two people at the same time in my network in a scalable way because those introductions took like five minutes. I'm also not worried about whether or not I get something back. Because if you keep score, if you're thinking that if I help this person or that person enough, they'll owe me one, you're always going to end up disappointed in your relationships. And worse, you'll create a covert contract, which is like a one-sided thing. It's like, well, I, I picked up Brett from the airport five times. And then, I you know, hey, Brett, will you shill my ebook on rabbit raising on Art of Manliness podcast? You're like, mm, it's not really a good fit. Now, if I've been keeping score and I've got a covert contract in my head, which is an agreement that I know about, but you don't because it's a, it's a one-sided agreement that I made up in my head because I thought if I helped you enough, you'd owe me. Now I get mad at you. And you're like, what the hell? I thought we were friends. But in my head, it's if I pick you up from the airport five enough times, you owe me this. And since we didn't really agree on that, I've poisoned the relationship now, right? I've kept score. I created a covert contract. You didn't fulfill your end of the bargain because you weren't aware of it. And now suddenly I'm being passive aggressive to you and our friendship dissolves. And a lot of people will do that. They'll keep score. They'll, they'll do this in a way where they'll, they'll give up on helping other people. I would say if you help a hundred people, you're going to be lucky if 10 of them are even able to help you back in any way because not everyone's going to be able to do that. And so if you're not giving without the expectation of something in return, you're going to miss most of the opportunities because you can't see how other people are going to be able to help you. I, I say the opportunities are over the horizon, right? I don't necessarily know that connecting the cryptocurrency CPA with the Bitcoin investor guy is going to then result in, hey, Jordan, I'm throwing a real estate conference in Hawaii. Will you come speak? We, those two things were invisible until I made the connection six months or a year ago without thinking, hey, if I help out this Bitcoin guy, he'll invite me to his real estate conference, right? I don't know that these opportunities exist. So get used to getting the short end of the stick in that most people won't want or be able to help you back. And if you keep score, you're going to go crazy. And if you don't, you won't even care. It won't matter to you. And so I highly recommend not keeping track of who you've helped and when you feel they owe you something because you're always going to end up disappointed. That's great. So a lot of great advice there about building your social capital. As you said, I thought you said it great was your social capital is the best insurance policy you can have for those big life changes that, you, that you'll face in your life. It is because like I said earlier, I think I said earlier, if I didn't have the relationships that I have now and I had to start over, I'd be in deep trouble. Your network and your skills are the only things that really can't be taken away from you in a court case or in an unexpected change of circumstances. You really aren't going to lose all your relationships at once unless your reputation takes a nosedive. That's a different story. But these are the things that you take with you, right? You can't take your intellectual property or you can't take certain assets or certain team members or your, your office or your fancy gadgets or whatever, but you can take your relationships and you can take your skills. So I recommend focusing on those, but you have to do both. You can't just focus on being the most skilled because you're leaving so much on the table if you don't have those connections with other people. And so I recommend, honestly, I recommend picking, this is sort of another piece of homework, but I recommend picking one or two people in your network or in your circle who is a weaker tie, but who you want to have a stronger relationship with 
and make sure that you invest a little bit more time and energy into hanging out with that person, grabbing some dinner with him and his wife or whatever, uh, going to, to see how their office runs, just some sort of level of investment in that relationship. And that will go a long way. And once you realize that you can manually strengthen relationships by focusing and investing on them a little bit, you'll want to do more of it. And it will make your network and your circle so strong that when you ever, and if you ever need anything, you're not going to feel ashamed reaching out. You're not going to feel embarrassed that you had to put your, put your ego aside and ask someone for something because now you're just talking to your friends. You're not talking with somebody who you've ignored for three years and then asking them to shill your book. It's different. That's great. So this change hasn't just affected you. It's affected other people as well. You mentioned uh, your, your, your team that has been with you for a while has been affected. I mean, how, what's been your strategy in leading your team in this, this big transition? I mean, sort of the sort of like crisis management, I guess you'd call it. Yeah. So, you know, what was funny is my wife and producer were saying, put on a brave face for the team, make sure everybody's taken care of. And I was, I was planning to do that, you know, of course. And I'll tell you, I did that. Okay. In the beginning. And then when I started to stumble and feel a little bit bad about how things are turning out or feel discouraged. I was pleasantly surprised at how the team actually rallied around me. So I rallied around them in initially so that I, I called everyone, told them exactly what was going on, made sure that they felt secure financially as much as I could, made sure that they knew what was happening, that they weren't going to suddenly end up being tossed out on their butt for no reason with no warning. I made sure of that. And then a few days or a few weeks later, the timeline's escaping me now. When I started to feel down or overwhelmed or lose a little bit of confidence, my producer, my associate producers, everybody around me and my team, they're the ones who said, hey man, we are all behind you. You did this before. We're excited. You're the last one who's, on the, who's not on board the, the exciting let's move forward train. You know, this is the Jordan Harbinger show. You're Jordan Harbinger. Why is everybody else more excited than you? You know, pull your pants up and get back to work. And that was very helpful. So I guess I led my team by putting on a brave face and making sure they knew what was happening. And I led my team by making sure that they felt safe. But the team led me just as much as I led them through this particular challenge. And you're married too. And like these big changes, I'm sure when a guy loses his job, that affects you know, his personal life, his married life, his family life. What was that been like for you and your wife to go through this? And like, it's happened like right after, like how long have you been married? Is it like a year or less than a year? Not even. I got married in May and it's like, you know, right. I mean, we're not even, not even at a year yet. And it, it brought us closer together. I know it sounds cliche, but people were saying, don't fight with your spouse. You know, don't fight with your spouse. I know it's going to be tempting because you're going to be stressed. Don't fight with your spouse. We have not fought. At really at all, especially not about this. She's had my back the whole way. I've been making sure that she's sort of taken care of with that, you know, not stressing, not worrying about a lot of stuff. We've really been pushed much closer. The whole team has, but certainly my wife and I, because not only am I married, I think it's prudent to note, not only am I married, my wife works with me from home. So we're together 24 seven and she's working on the business. She's working on the Jordan Harbinger show stuff behind the scenes with me. So it's not just she's a housewife in keeping everything safe at home, which would be, which is awesome. And I, I think any guy that has that is super lucky. And it's not that she gets home from work and she's emotional, emotionally supportive. She's there with me every step of the way. She's grinding just like I am. She's hustling just like I am. And that's brought us closer together. And I think anybody who has a supportive spouse, especially somebody who is keeping their house in order. And I don't mean that literally. I mean that metaphorically, like making sure that you don't have to worry about little things because you have to focus on the business. That's just been such a huge help. And so having a partner, spouse, or significant other that's really emotionally supportive is great. But also having somebody who's capable and picking up the slack for you when you really need them has been indispensable. So it's helped our relationship a lot because I'll be honest, I used to have kind of a short fuse and stress would get to me. And now that I'm facing real stress, I had to decide, am I just going to blow a gasket every five minutes or am I going to get my self together and not rely on my emotions and anger to vent? Because people don't want to be around that. And 
it was either going to be a long time of me being a grump or it was going to be a long time of me figuring out how to manage that particular emotional BS and, and not do it anymore. And I'm really glad to say that I have not had as much of a problem recently as I have in the past, which is unusual, right? Little things in the past used to make me really annoyed and irritated and vocal about it. And now that I have real issues to deal with, I'm much more calm than I ever was. And I'm not totally sure why that is. Yeah. No, I think you had a blog post recently about where you quote that movie with Tom Hanks about the Russian spies. Right. Bridge of Spies. Bridge of and Spies. Yeah. Tom Hanks is, is the lawyer for this East German spy who's got a death sentence. And he goes, aren't you worried? And he goes, would it help? And of course, the rhetorical answer there, or the rhetorical question, the answer is no, of course not. Worrying about what's going to happen next is not going to help. Figuring out what you're going to do, how you might react, what your next step is, that's helpful. But once you've figured that out, get back to work. Stop figuring out, stop figuring out what ifs that can drive you crazy because your brain is, has all kinds of experience figuring out how to make you unstable, insecure, or uneasy. Don't give it a room to do that. Getting back to work, not worrying as much as you can, that's what's going to keep your brain busy moving forward. And that was the antidote for me, like I said. Jordan, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about the new show? Yeah, so um, jordanharbinger.com slash podcast is the website. But really, you're listening to a podcast. Find the Jordan Harbinger show in your podcast player, iTunes, whatever you're using to listen to this. And I know we have a lot of former Art of Charm listeners. And since I'm no longer there, I'd love it if people would come find me at the Jordan Harbinger show. Similar quality, more open topics. And I'd like to think an even better show now that we don't have to worry about the, uh, the, the sort of the baggage of the old brand. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing what people think. All right, Jordan Harbinger. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, man. My guest today was Jordan Harbinger. He's the host of The Jordan Harbinger Show. You can find that on anywhere where podcasts are found. Search it for iTunes, Spotify, you name it, it's there. Just look for The Jordan Harbinger Show. Also, check out our show notes at aom.is slash harbinger, where you can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, I've gotten something out of it since you've been listening to it. I'd appreciate it if you take a minute to give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please share the show with a friend or family member who you think would get something out of it. As always, thank you for your continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. Stay manly.